Well, good morning, City Light Church. My name is Phil. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 28 through 30. Those are the verses that were just recited. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. And this morning, we have three verses and three incredible realities for us as Christians. Listen, Romans chapter 8 is packed with good news for the believer, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we have the promised Holy Spirit, that we've been adopted into God's family in whom we cry, Abba, Father, and we have a great hope of a future reality that we we know that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so this morning, I want to continue to uh, look at and unpack all the amazing things that God has done for us and is continuing to do in our lives. Uh, I was born in a small mountain town in Colorado, in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. So I grew up just with a love for the outdoors, a love for the mountains, loved hiking, camp, camping, backpacking. And when I moved to New Mexico, my love for the mountains continues and does to this day. And I would, in fact, I would choose the mountains over the beach any day of the year, uh, except when it's negative 25 degrees in Omaha, Nebraska. I would gladly go to a hot, sunny beach. But about 10 years ago, I planned this trip with a couple of really good friends. One of those friends was uh, Chris Aruska. And we met a few years prior to that. And we decided that the three of us were going to get together, plan this trip to Colorado, and go climb a couple 14,000-foot peaks. And if you've ever climbed uh, a mountain of this magnitude or of this size, you know that there's pain and suffering involved in getting to the top. It's, it's hard work. It's, it's difficult. And we were not in great shape, to say the least. I, had, I was a newlywed, had just had my first daughter, daughter began my career as a civil engineer, and uh, the first thing to go out the window was fitness. And Chris, uh, he was not married, but he had fallen in love with frozen burritos. Okay, (laughs) so that's just, it wasn't a good situation. We were not in shape, but we were right out of college, and we just wanted to, we wanted to go for it. And I remember waking up uh, super early the morning that we were going to climb the mountain, because we had to get up super early and start, because we were climbing thousands of feet in elevation, and we knew that we were going to be hiking several miles. And so me and Justin, we showed up, and we had our hiking boots on. We had our camel packs. We had our outdoor gear. And I remember Chris showed up with his basketball shorts and his Air Jordans. Like, for real. That's what he was climbing this mountain in. And if you know anything about basketball shoes, they don't have any traction underneath. So I don't know how he did it. He made it work, but I've never seen anybody climb a mountain like that in Air Jordans ever since that day. And <laughs> needless to say, he was suffering a little bit more along the way, especially as we made our ascent up the snow. Um, you can see <laughs> up this steep slope. And in this, on this day, I remember, I think even in this moment, there may have been a few cuss words said, if I remember right. But anyway, <laughs> we, we pushed through it. We, we sweated like crazy. Our calves and our quads were burning. And we made it to the top and we were exhausted. And there's one more photo here. Um, you can see the exhaustion. That's what we were all doing for like 30 minutes. But when you get to the top, there's this, this amazing view that kind of makes you forget about basically all the things that you went through, the suffering and the pain to get to the top. And there's one more photo of the three of us at the top of the mountain. And the view is just breathtaking. It's incredible. It's majestic. Miles and miles as far as the eye can see are covered with snow-capped mountains. It's, it's incredible. 
And City Light, I've learned this, that the Christian life is a lot like this, this hike, this long, painful, and uncomfortable hike that we took about 10 years ago. It's easy when you get to the top and, and you look back and you say, wow, that was, that was hard, but it was worth it. It's a lot harder when you're in the midst of it, when you're in the midst of a trial or you're suffering and you're just struggling just to put one foot in front of the other. And there are obstacles all along the way that don't seem like they're ever going to end. It's hard. Can I just be honest this morning? The Christian life, it's hard sometimes. And I've learned in hiking and in the Christian life, unless you know that there's something better on the other side, unless you know that it's going to be worth it, you're likely not going to make it to the top. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants us to see this morning in this text. And he's writing to Christians that are experiencing persecution under the Roman authorities. And he's saying, listen, like you're struggling right now, but God is going to work it out for good. He has a plan even when the journey is hard. And some of you are showing up this morning and you're ready to, you're ready to tap out because you're struggling in your marriage, because you're struggling in your relationship with God, because life is just messy. And I want to encourage you this morning. I know some of you are showing up and asking, asking this question, like, can I really trust God? Like right now, can I really trust that, that God is good? Is his way really good for me? Can I trust that, that he's good even when my situation is bad? Can I trust that he is drawing near to me, that he is moving in my life even when I feel stuck? And the answer to that question is yes, you can. And this morning, this matters for, for all of us because if we don't get this, we're tempted to, we're going to be tempted to throw in the towel, to finish the, to quit the hike early, and we're going to miss out on all that God intended us to experience. So I have tr- three truths as we dive into our text this morning. The first one is this, God's incredible promise, God's incredible promise, even the bad in your life will work out for your good. This is our memory verse uh, for this week, and I would encourage you to memorize it as we continue in our scripture memory challenge. And this is a verse that you probably, if you've been around church for a while, you probably heard this verse. It's on mugs, it's on t-shirts. But Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know for those that love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And I love the first couple of words in this verse. Because it says, we know, we know, we know. See, everything preceding this, Paul writes, and then he writes these two words, we know. And he's writing that to give us confidence in Jesus Christ, to give us confidence that he's going to work it out in his time, in his plan, in his way, and for our good, which is going to be much better than our timing and our plan and our way. See, we can trust that God's way is better And the question I have to answer from the start is this. Who is this promise for? Who is this promise for? Is it for everyone? Is it for all creation? Just look at the text. What does it say? It says, it's for those who love God, meaning it's for the Christian. So if you're here this morning and you love Jesus, you can know that this promise is for you. That your life is just not some random, chaotic, out-of-control set of circumstances, but God is working in all things in every single situation, and he's working it out for your good. And in this statement, we know we can have confidence 
It's a confidence that's not in what we can do for God, not in ourselves, not in our situation or circumstance. It's a confidence in who God is and what God has done for us. See, as Christians, we can have this unshakable confidence in Christ that no matter what the situation is, even when things don't look like they're going the way that they should, we can know that he's working it out. So listen, as Christians, we shouldn't be shocked by the tragedies of this life, by the hardships that we face. When things are going wrong in our situations or circumstances or relationships, we can lean in and we can trust that God is going to work it out for good. And so when it talks about all things in this verse, what does that mean? Well, all things means all things, okay? It's the good and the bad in our lives. Uh, This morning I got up and I went downstairs I knew I was preaching today, and so I'm on my way to church early. I get in the garage, get in my car, and then try to flip over the keys. Click, click, click. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. This is horrible timing, (laughs) all right? And it won't start. I keep trying. Everybody's still in bed. And so I run upstairs like, babe, you got to take me. You got to get out of bed and take me to church. Like, it's okay. Leave the kids. We'll go. Run all the red lights, and we'll get there. (laughs) And, uh... Don't judge me. We did leave our kid. Our, our oldest daughter is 10, so it was like 10 minutes. But, and then she went back and came back. But, so I just think, man, in the, in the bad and the good things, it's, it's easy to trust God when things are going well. When things are going good, it's easy to trust God in those situations. Uh, it's not so easy to say the same thing when the cancer diagnosis comes. It's not so easy to say when there's hardship, when there's divorce, when there's abandonment, when there's abuse, when there are deep-seated father wounds, or when there's an estranged relationship with a parent or a son or a daughter. And yet, there is a great hope in what this verse is saying this morning, the promise that God, even in the bad things, he's going to work it out for your ultimate good. In uh, 2005, I remember my wife, who I was dating at the time, uh, she got a phone call and it was one of those phone calls that you get on the, the news coming from the other side. It just leaves a deep pit in your stomach. And some of you have experienced a phone call like this. And uh, she was in tears as she got the news that her brother, who was 24 at the time, had just been diagnosed with cancer. And um, he had a lump in his collarbone that he fell, and he went to go get it checked out, and he got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it was right, right before our wedding. He had just finished chemo and radiation. There's a photo of all my groomsmen. He's there on the right. He lost all his hair. He's wearing the glasses. And I, uh, I talked to him this week, and he said, you know, in the moment, um, I, was, I was spiritually all over the place. And I wasn't angry at God, but it was really a time of buckling down and saying, am I really going to trust God or not? You see, he said it's easy when things are going well, when you have a lot of nice things when you have a big clean house. When things are going your way, it's easy to, to trust God in those moments. It's not so easy when things are not going well to, to really say God is, is, is good in this situation. And he, he clung to this psalm that God gave him that says the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. And that included him. He knew that God created him. He made him in his image, that he was a new creation in Christ Jesus. And although he thought he was going to die because that's what the doctor told him, He had a great hope and a confidence and a trust in the Lord. And it was difficult for him to think about, man, 
I'm not going to be there for my kids. What if I'm not there for my kids? What if I can't teach them how to ride their bikes? That was a difficult thing to process, but he said he knew that God was way more capable of taking care of his family. The good news is that God let him live. God healed him through chemo and through, you know, every other week for 24 weeks, and his wife was, was praying for him and fasting, and the church was surrounding him with prayers and love and support, and he's cancer-free. Praise God. Yeah, you can clap for that. And he said, he said the process taught him a lot about the body of Christ and how important the body of Christ is, how important it is. People showed up in his life when he needed it the most. And it also taught him about this life and just how temporary it is. He said, you know what, Phil, I'm, I know I'm still going to die. Like we all face that, right? But it's okay. See, Dustin found his identity was in Jesus Christ. It wasn't in something that he supposedly conquered himself. The Lord healed him, and he continues to redeem his story, and it's incredible. It was, it was actually 10 days after he had his second son that he was diagnosed with cancer. And the doctors told him, you know, when you go through chemo and radiation like this, it's, it's impossible to have any more kids. But with God, it's not impossible. And it's amazing. God did a miracle. They had a daughter, um, which doesn't even make sense. But God did it. He gave them a daughter. It was incredible. And since then, they've adopted a son from South Korea. He left his job at NASA in New Mexico. And him and his wife, for the last couple of years, have been serving as full-time missionaries in Monterey, Mexico. That's a current photo of their family today. And it's amazing. It's amazing what God can do. You know, and, and they're going to be moving back to the state soon, and they continue to face some hard decisions. But I think they're a great model of what it means to trust God, even in the bad situations, that he's going to work the bad out for our good. And I want to add and just say that that was Dustin's story. You know, I know that's not everybody's story. I know, I know that every situation doesn't work out that way or that we hope that it's going to work out. But I can tell you this, that even if the story was different for my brother-in-law, that this promise is still good, and it's still true, that as Christians, we have something to look forward to that's so much better on the other side of this life. And so City Light, we must remember that God is sovereign, that he is in control, that he's going to work it all out just so, so we experience him. And so we'll see in the next verse that we become more like Jesus. See, hardships, suffering, and pain, they're not new to our day. If you read the Bible, you will see story after story of God working out the bad situations and the bad things that happen for good for his people. And the Bible shows us that even evil, that even sin can be used for good in our lives. And you might be in that place today. I don't know what you're going through, what pain you're experiencing, what suffering you have had in the past or what you're currently going through. But I know that this promise is good and it's, it's true. And that we must cling to this promise that there is something better on the other side. And, and often we don't see it right away, but God is working it all out. I love this quote from uh, Matt Chandler. He's a pastor of the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. He says it this way, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that if you follow Jesus, everything goes well for you. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that no matter what comes, he will be enough. 
See, all of us have likely experienced some type of trial, some type of pain, some type of suffering. And oftentimes it leaves us wondering, what good could actually come from this situation? Can I really trust God? Could God be really working it out? And often it takes time to see that. But the beautiful thing is that God has a purpose and a plan in all of it. And that leads me to my second truth is this. Number two, God's incredible purpose. God's incredible purpose. He's making you more like Jesus. In verse 28, we see this promise that God is working things out for good. And in verse 29, we'll see that God isn't trying to just change our, our circumstances. He's actually trying to, he wants to change us. Look with me at verse uh, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so the word for is there for a reason. It's saying because all things work together for good because God is working to conform us to look more like Jesus. This is why everything that happens to us in this life um, is for us as Christians. God is refining us. He's chipping away at our lives so that we look more and more like Jesus Christ. That's actually the good that it's talking about in verse 28. How does the good happen right now? The good happens when we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And this isn't going to be perfectly realized on this side of eternity. That's going to be ultimately realized when we meet Jesus face to face. Well, I'm guessing this morning there are probably a lot of diamonds in the room. Married women, engaged women, you probably have one on your left hand. There might be some diamond earrings or bracelets. If you just look around, I'm sure they're there, right? And some of you men need to go buy one and just pop the question already. You know what I'm talking about. I don't know who it is, but you're out there. (laughs) But the process, however, of these diamonds, uh, it actually takes a lot of time under massive amounts of pressure from the earth and high heat to actually make something of significant beauty. And the point here is this, that there is a process in a diamond becoming a diamond. And there is a process in us being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. You know, my parents divorced when I was, when I was seven years old. And it it crushed me as a kid because my dad was gone. He was, he was out of my life. And my mom remarried a couple years later. We moved to New Mexico when I was nine years old. And for seven years, For seven years, there was no connection with my dad, no phone calls, nothing. I didn't even know where he was at. And I remember as a young kid, really blaming myself, crying myself to sleep at night, and wondering, what did I do wrong? And then as I got older, what did that turn into? It turned into the bitterness, and it turned into anger, and it turned into me resenting my dad. But over time... even though I know that God didn't intend this relationship, this marriage to look like this or go this way, I could see that God had a plan in it all, that he was showing me that he's a better father, that he's my heavenly father that will never leave me or never forsake me and no one can pluck me out of his hand. And it's been a painful process, if I'm honest, a painful process of about 20 years. But I've seen God at work. God is making me more and more like Jesus even through this relationship. When I wanted to ignore the relationship, when I wanted to harbor bitterness in my heart, when I wanted to live in anger, God was showing me and shaping me and giving me the ability to actually forgive, 
to release the anger, to release the, the bitterness, and to move toward my dad in love and love him, not based on what he's done in the past, but love him just for the fact that he is my dad. And I can tell you this is pr- probably one of the most difficult things that I've had to deal with in my life. And maybe some of you have similar stories. But I remember three years ago, my dad called me and he said, you know what, I'm 56 years old and, I, and I've blown it. I've made mistakes in the past. And I know that if I don't do anything different now, that I'm not going to have a relationship with my kids and I'm not going to have a relationship uh, with my grandkids. And he invited me to come visit him, my whole family. And I just, every part of me wanted to say, no way, like I'm done, like I've had enough. And I found myself, 30 years old, I'm going for a walk by myself and really a walk with God. And I'm just wrestling with God. And I'm in tears. And God was convicting me. And, he, and what he was saying is, you know, look at, all, look at all that I've done for you. Look at all that I've done for you. Even when you were at your worst, I've loved you. I've pursued you. I've stepped into your life, not based on, what, on your past and what you've done or how you've measured up. Like I, I've loved you because I love you with an unconditional love. And God was basically telling me, you need to learn to love your dad like that. And I was like, whoa, slow down, slow down, God. But I can tell you that this process has made me look more like Jesus. And it's still a process for me. I'm 34 years old. It's still a process that I'm, I'm wrestling with. And I'm not doing this perfectly by any stretch, but the last three years, God has reconciled our relationship. My dad met my kids for the first time three years ago. You know, I have four daughters. And our relationship has been the best it's ever been in the last three years. In fact, he visited last fall. He came to Omaha, and I sat down with him over breakfast, and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. To share with him the good news that Jesus loves him, that he died for him, that he rose again so that he can be forgiven. And if, if I'm honest with you, for the longest time, I didn't really care if he experienced that. And that was the sin in my own heart that didn't love him, that didn't want to move toward him. See, this is the good. This is the good that God wants to work out in our lives, that we become more and more like Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, he was humble. He was a a servant. He was forgiving. He was compassionate. Uh, He moved toward the outcast. He loved and he spent time with the sinner. He was slow to anger. And I could go on and on and on and preach an entire sermon about the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. But over time, I've learned that God is a good father who loves me, who stepped into my life, who is shaping me and making me look more like Jesus Christ. And so City Light, listen, if you want to know, if you want to know what God's purpose is for your life, if you want to know what God's will is for your life, if you want to know what God's greatest desire for you is and how he wants you to grow, it's this. God's greatest desire for you is for you to become like his son. God's greatest desire for you is for you to become like his son. And church, I have to ask the question, are you trusting in your purpose for your life? And are you relying on your own effort to accomplish that? Or are you trusting in God's purpose and his purpose to make you more like Jesus? This morning, regardless of what you're going through, whatever you're feeling emotionally, 
whatever hardship you're facing, I want you to know that God has a purpose in all of it, and it is a good purpose, and he has a plan. And I can't tell you, I can't stand up here and tell you when the pain's going to end, when the suffering's going to cease, but I can tell you this, to be patient, to be patient, to trust that God and his purpose is better, better than any purpose that you could come up with on your own. See, he's working in your life, in your situation, in your circumstance. He's refining you. He's chipping away at your life so that something more beautiful will come out on the other side. And a question I need to answer here is this before we jump into point three, is who? Who is he conforming to be more like him? I'm not going to gloss over these words in verse 29 that says for new and predestined, but I'm going to hit that in point three. But I want to explain the last statement in verse 29, uh, Romans 8, 29b. It says, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is talking about Jesus Christ being the firstborn. And what it means is that Jesus, God's son, is uniquely preeminent in the family of God. And in Jewish culture, the firstborn would receive all the rights and all the privilege. And what this is saying is that Jesus has all the rights, that he is king in God's family, and he alone is worthy of our worship, and he alone is worthy of our glory. And that's why we exist, to worship and glorify God, to become more like him. You know, we can call Jesus friend, we can call him brother, but ultimately we call him Lord of all. See, God's purpose is is for us to become more like him and to worship him forever. The third and final truth I want to celebrate and help explain is this. Number three, God's incredible plan. It's this. He has chosen you. He has saved you and will bring you into glory. And church, this is good news. Now, I know there are some of you who have heard me use this word predestined. And uh, because it's there in the text a couple of times, and you might be saying, why is that there? What does that mean? Why does that matter for us today? And you might be new to church and just picking up on some of this language that we don't use in our everyday conversation, and that's okay. Um, And some of you have been around the church for a while, and you're excited for me to preach on this verse in verse 30. But church, I want to remind us before we jump in to verse 30, how we deal as a church with some of these theological issues. And there's really two categories. The first one is close-handed issues like Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that Jesus really did rise from the dead on the third day, that God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, and he made us in his image. Now, if you disagree with those things, you're outside of what are some of the most foundational truths of Christianity. Now, on the other side of that are open-handed issues Whereas Christians, we can agree to disagree. Does that make sense? So we agree on the close-handed issues, but we can agree to disagree on some of these open-handed issues. And we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we disagree with, but we love them because what's the main thing? The main thing is Jesus Christ, that we're saved by grace through faith alone, and it's the, it's the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And so listen, as I explain this verse, it's not me trying to convince you of how you became a Christian, but it's me simply as a preacher teaching what the Bible says and saying at the center of our story is a big God 
And for me, this verse gives me great hope and confidence that before the foundations of the earth, God chose to love me. So let's read verse 30. Romans 8, 30, it says this, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so there's a chain here, and each one follows the next. We see in verse uh, 29, it says those who he foreknew, he predestined. And then in verse 30, those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And I want to take some time this morning just to give some definition to each one of these words because I think at first glance, they can be a little confusing. But each one of these words actually gives us a greater picture of who God is and his incredible plan for our lives. So the first one is for no. For no does not mean to, to know the future in advance in this context. Of course, God knows the future, but in this context, it means to be known by God like a real relationship, like he knew you before you were born. He knew you before the foundations of the world. He knew what you were like. He knew your name. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And so what this is saying is that before you knew God, God knew you. And that's amazing. Predestined uh, means to be determined beforehand. Predetermined, marked out or appointed. And to be honest with you, I really wrestled with this term as I was in college, as a college student, I was reading my Bible, but I couldn't deny the fact that it's here, it's right here in the Bible. And growing up, I was taught that my salvation was up to me, that I needed to move toward God, that I needed to clean up my life, that I needed to make the decision for Christ. And yes, faith and repentance is the first response when God moves in our lives. But the Bible teaches that faith is actually a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says it is a free gift. So it is God who initiates salvation in our lives. God who initiates salvation in our lives. And see, God moved toward me first. He foreknew me, he predestined me, and he called me and chose me to be in a relationship and, and to be part of his family. And I could hardly wrap my mind around this idea, and still today I don't fully understand the depths of God's love for me and the way that he works, and I don't think I ever will on this side of eternity. And that's okay. I do know that I was once dead, okay? And I had no power to make myself alive, but God made me alive through the power of his Holy Spirit because he knew me, because he chose me before the foundations of the world. And this truth only magnified my view of God and my worship of him. And so if you're a follower of Christ, this is true of you as well. And maybe you don't realize that this morning. But I hope that it gives you a bigger picture of who our God is. It's, it's amazing. The next word is called. Called. What does that mean? It's not like making a phone call. You're inwardly called by God. You're drawn into a relationship with him. And Jesus says this in uh, John six forty four. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So if God foreknew you, he predestined you, he's going to draw you, he's going to call you into relationship with himself. This is God at work. It's the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And I didn't realize this for a long time, but again, it only made me thank God and glorify God even more because I don't deserve it. None of us do. 
And yet God has stepped in. He's made this promise to give us eternal life, a relationship with him, to give us a purpose to live for, that it's so much greater than we could ever imagine. The term justified, this is something that we've been covering the last several weeks in Romans chapter 8. It simply means to be declared righteous, to be made right before God. I've heard it said that justified is just as if you never sinned. And that's really true. That's our standing. That's our position before God. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the brokenness and the sin. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ covering you. And he remembers your sin no more. The last term is glorified. The glorified is in past tense, and there really is a double meaning here, uh, meaning that it's already but not yet. We're already glorified because we are eternally secure in Jesus Christ. And then one day we'll be totally and finally glorified when we're in heaven and we meet Jesus face to face. And so City Light, here is what all of this means. There has never been a time where God has not been in control. From before you breathe your first breath to the time that you breathe your last, God's got you. He's a good father. He's a loving savior who steps in, who chose you, who forgives you, who loves you, who's brought you near and will carry you on into glory. Why? Because he never loses his kids, which means your salvation is not up to you. God's got you, and he's going to carry you on all the way to the very end. See, he has chosen you, he has saved you, and he will bring you into glory. Amen? Well, I want to close with this, and listen, I can't, I can't stand up here and pretend like I know all the answers of why there is pain and suffering in this world, or why God calls some into a relationship with himself, and why others never experience a relationship with God. I can't tell you all the answers why bad things happen to good people who love Jesus. But I do know this, that God is so much bigger. Can I just say that? And that's what the Bible teaches. In Isaiah 55, 9, it says this, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Why does God say this? Because he's God, right? And we're, we're not. His ways are higher. He's more powerful. He's all-knowing. He knows all things. So why would we choose to trust in something or someone less than God? And yes, we can't fully comprehend or fully understand the ways that God works, but we know that he's in control. We know that he's a good father. We know that he is supreme. We know that he is sovereign. We know that he reigns. We know that he has our best interest in mind, and we know that he calls the shots in our lives. And I've had uh, many conversations with people that say, you know, I can't really believe in a God that would allow bad things to happen to good people. How could a good, all-powerful, loving God allow these types of things to happen? And honestly, I cannot answer those questions perfectly. But here's what I can tell you. Here's what I know what the Bible teaches. I know what God's word says. I know what God has done for you and what he's done for me that God willingly put his son through the very worst pain and suffering that anybody could ever experience. He was beaten, he was mocked, he was scorned, and then he was nailed to a cross so that we could be forgiven and have a relationship with him. Was that just? No. But it demonstrated the heart of God and his unconditional love for us, that he paid the price 
that he paid the price so that we could be known by God, that we could be chosen by God, that we could be justified by God, and that we could be ultimately glorified by God. And this morning, if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you this. You're not here by accident. It's very likely that God is working in your life, and you might not even know it yet. But he's here. He's drawing you in. He's opening up your heart. He's drawing near to you. So this morning, pay attention. If that is you today, don't resist that tug from God. Trust him. Trust that he's moving toward you. If, you ha- if he has chosen you, you are his. Your first step is to simply respond, to turn from your sin, and to trust in his promise, and his purpose, and his plan for your life. Trust that his way is better And give your life to him, and he will change you. Let me close with prayer. Well, Father God, we thank you so much uh, for this promise that you are working out all things for our good. And God, I know that there's, there's days where we don't understand it, where it's hard where there are seasons of life where it, none, none, none of it makes sense, and we ask the question, how could you actually be working in this situation? But God, it just help us this morning to rest in your promises. Help us to rest in your purpose, that, that we are being conformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to understand your plan, even when maybe it doesn't make sense to us, but we know that you're good, we know that you're in control, we know that you're sovereign. God, you are a good, holy God, and we want to continue to worship you. God, thank you for even using the bad things, even the hard things in our life to show us how we need to be redeemed, how we need to be restored, how we need to become more like you. And we can look back on the situations in our life and say, God, yes, I saw you at work in that situation. I didn't know in the moment, and it took later, uh, a a time later down the road for me to understand that, but God, you, you were at work. So God, continue to work in our lives this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.